Good evening. Glad you're here. Glad you made the effort to be here tonight. We're excited to get started in our Bible study. Before we start, I was thinking about something today. Last night we had the ladies' event, and the, the ladies' event, uh, this first one was, uh, we had four ladies uh, come and, and basically talk about their Christian walk. What were things that were beneficial? What were things that were hard? What advice would they give? Would they change anything if they could? And it was really just a discussion that moved along, and it, it impressed me how much and the answers were different, but really the answers were the same. And the answer was, and, and it was funny, you heard different versions of it, but the answer was, read your Bible, study your Bible, and start as early as you can. And it was really just versions of that. You want to know how to raise your kids? You want to know what, when you have an empty nest happen? Uh, if you lose a spouse? Uh, all of those things are prepared in reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and, and starting as early as possible. Well, that's what we're doing uh, what an opportunity we have. We need to seize an opportunity. We're going to come study God's Word, study His, uh, the meaning of His Word, and then prepare to apply it in our life. Tonight, we're going to continue in our study, the grand scheme of things. We've covered a whole lot of territory, but we're just getting started. I'm going to start us off with a word of prayer tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity we have to gather and to, to fellowship most of all, to hear from you, to hear from your word. I, I pray that tonight what we're going to look at, that you give us a understanding, a greater understanding, that you give us a discernment to say this is what God has said and this is what he means, and then the faithfulness to go out of here and apply it to our lives, to our homes, uh, to our Christian walks. So I pray tonight as, as we've gathered, as our kids are learning tonight, I pray that you bless them, that you encourage and train and teach them as a foundation is laid for them. I pray uh, for our youth tonight. Lord, I pray as they study, as, as they're soon going to face a world that's going to try to chip away, uh, to pull out from under them the, the truth that they know, uh, I pray again that the truth is, is, is presented, that it's grasped, that it's understood, and that it, it makes a, a difference uh, as they move forward from here. Again, we're thankful for today, and we pray that you'd bless us in our study tonight. And I pray in Christ's name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight, as we move along, we're going to come now to an introduction to Moses. Uh, we covered a big chunk last week in the book of Job. Now we're going to back up uh, to the order that our Bible's written in uh, and, and look at the, the story of the account of Moses. I want to start off and read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. Hebrews really serves as kind of a New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. And I always like these verses talking about uh, what we're getting ready to spend a couple weeks, two or three weeks studying in the Old Testament. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. This is a New Testament uh, commentary on the account we're about to study tonight. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward by faith when he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is Unseen. So again, kind of a quick synopsis of what we're going to study uh, the next couple of weeks. The key point for our lesson tonight on your sheet, God goes to great lengths 
removing barriers so that we would know him. Now, when we start talking about Moses, you say, well, I don't know how you get that out of it. Hopefully you'll see that as we move along through our lesson tonight. God wants us to know him. And we, we need to be sure and, and understand that as we move through Scripture, God wants us to know him. He wants us to know what he is like. Uh, John chapter 17 says eternal life is us knowing him and his son, Jesus Christ. And so God works, God moves, God reveals himself through Scripture that we would know him. So understand God wants us to know him. All right, let's move. And I'm just going to kind of sum, summarize some points very quickly. Uh, the Israelites, uh, that is the name that is given by God. The sons are the descendants of Israel. I remember his name has changed from Jacob to Israel. The sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel are called the Israelites. And so here is this people group, this nation, the Israelites. They are called the Hebrews by the Egyptians. And so God calls them the Israelites, the, the Egyptians call them the Hebrews. Well, the Israelites end up by God's great plan, by God's provision uh, in Egypt. Uh, it's a, a roundabout way. We've studied it for a couple of weeks how they end up there. But they end up there and there is a great drought. They survive the drought. God provides for them there in Egypt. And so, okay, they're there. There's 70 something folks that go there. Uh, they endure the drought. The family is preserved. But then time passes. Uh, time moves on. The Pharaoh that knows Joseph passes away. He dies. He is replaced. Uh, the Israelites in the land of Egypt begin to grow in number. Now, that's an understatement. They begin to radically grow in number, so much so that the Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. Sees, sees how vast they're becoming, and he feels threatened. If they become to outnumber us, they may just take us over. And so as they're growing in number, he starts to feel threatened. And so here's what he decides. We'll enslave them. We'll put them to work, and that's how we'll deal with these people. Well, they put them to work. They enslave them, and here's what happens. They grow in number. They continue to grow in number. And so he says, you know what? Increase their labor. And make it unbearable. Increase their labor, and that's how we'll slow them down. So you know what? They pile the work on them. They're making bricks. They're working. The load is unbearable, and the Bible says they grow in number. It happens again. So he tells them, you know what? Take their sons and kill their sons. Let's remove their sons. Throw them in the Nile River, and we'll slow them down that way. Well, a couple things happen, and guess what? They continue to grow in number. Well, into that, uh, here comes Moses. Now, Moses, and your sheet says this, has a very unlikely start. Now, he has an unlikely start in two places. He has an unlikely start, number one, just that he's alive, but he also has a very unlikely start that he's used by God. He is born. His parents make a basket. They put him in the Nile River. Uh, in the Nile River, he is found by Pharaoh's daughter. He is raised as an Egyptian. He is educated as an Egyptian. He should be dead. And so guess what? Moses shouldn't be alive. He should be dead. He shouldn't have escaped that, but he does. When he's 40 years old, he grows up raised in the, with the finest of things. He goes and he sees an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. He sees his a countryman being abused by an Egyptian. He sees that. He gets mad. Uh, evidently, he had some sort of temper. Here's what he does. He kills the guy. 
buries him in the sand. He does away with him, buries him in the sand. The next day, I think it's an interesting account, he has an argument with an Israelite. Now think about this. He defends an Israelite and kills an Egyptian. The next day, he's having an argument with an Israelite, not an Egyptian. And the Israelite says, what are you going to do? Kill me like you did the Egyptian. So when he hears that, he knows the word is out. Uh, the word is spreading. They know it's going to get back to Pharaoh. He knows as well. And so at 40 years old, Moses takes off. He's been raised there as, as, as a, a member of Pharaoh's household. He takes off and he runs. He goes to Midian, which I think is an interesting name. It means middle place, uh, Midland, middle place, the middle of nowhere. You know what? That sounds a lot like our Midland when I think about that. Flat middle of nowhere, a, a desert place. He, he goes to Midian, the middle of nowhere, and there he begins to work as a shepherd. He works as a shepherd for 40 years. And so I want you to think about that. The middle of nowhere, no plan, not trying to go back home, not trying to see family. Middle of nowhere, he's working. He's just working, not 10 years, 40 years, middle of nowhere, out as a shepherd, just working. It's unlikely he's alive, but think about this. Again, it's unlikely that God would use him. He's not there. He's not in Egypt. He's an obscure man. I think they probably, most folks had forgotten about him. An obscure man in the middle of flat nowhere. And so here is an unlikely guy, Moses, that God's about to use. He shouldn't be alive. And for sure, this obscure guy wouldn't be somebody we would choose most likely to come in and, and lead this plan. The next section in our, on our sheets, the God who sees. The Israelites, the Bible tells us, are crying out for relief. It's gotten harder and it's gotten harder and it's gotten harder. And they're crying out for relief. Relief doesn't come. Notice the progression there. It gets tougher. It doesn't get easier. It, it gets tougher. And so things are hard and they're getting harder. It's been 400 years. And the honest truth is this. Because of the length of time, uh, because of the things that they're enduring, most likely many of those people had lost the worship of the one true God. Where, where Joseph knew, where those that were the, the close relatives of, of Israel, of Jacob knew, most likely with the passing of time, they had probably forgotten much of the word of God. They had probably forgotten most of the promises of God. They had probably forgotten the plan of God. Remember the plan of God is he would take them there and bring them back. Uh, most likely they had forgotten the plan of God. Now, the, the, the crazy thing and the awesome thing is here they are. They've forgotten most likely the, the word of God, the promises of God, but God had not. God had not forgotten. I'm going to start to read out of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel, the Israelites, sighed. It literally means they moaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning 
and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. It says he remembered them. Now, I want to be sure this is the same word we saw with Noah, that he remembered Noah. It doesn't mean that he had ever forgotten Noah. It doesn't mean that he had ever forgotten them. It actually means the opposite. He never forgot them. He remembered them. It didn't leave him or escape him. He remembered the covenant. He never forgot it with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He hears the cries, sees their distress, and he remembers, never forgot the covenant that he had made with their fathers. He had not forgotten them. Here's a question, and there's, there's several times as we go through the account, there's questions that pop up. Here's a question to think about. How involved is God in the lives of people? Now, we can see it in the story. We can think about that in the story, but think about that today. How involved is God in the lives of people? Now, there's several versions that people give. There are some folks that say he creates everything, and then he just steps back and watches and sees how it goes from there. He, it's kind of like winding up a toy and kicking it out and see, see what happens. So there's some folks that say he's not involved at all. He starts creation in motion. He creates and then he steps back, and he is distant seeing how it plays out. There's others that would say he is involved in some things, not in all things, just in some things. Maybe he's more involved in some things than he is in other things. And so in this area, he's very involved. But in this area, he's not involved at all. Think about that. Is God concerned about only big things, or is he concerned about small things? Is he too busy to be concerned with all things? Or just does he have to hit the high spots, the main things? Think about this. I thought about this this afternoon. Do you think, this is kind of weird, but think about it. Do you think God cares what you ate for lunch today? Think he cares? Or does he not care? He's got stuff going on. Does he care? Does he care if you sin today? Now, that's a different thing. He doesn't want you to sin. Does he care if you had a cheeseburger or pizza? Or does, or does he care if you have sinned? How involved is he? Here's what we see in the account. God sees. It's actually one of his names. God sees. God cares. He tells us that. He hears. And he is involved. He's not removed. He's not distant. God sees us. Think about this today. God sees us. God sees you. God is interested in the, in the result of this Bible study. He's, he's interested in seeing how this Bible study uh, is going to impact us. He's interested in this. The Bible says if we pray, he hears our prayers. He responds to our prayers. Here's, here's, here's what I came up with from there. Why? Why? Why does he care? Why is he involved? And here's the answer. The answer is this. He is a personal God. He knows us. He loves us. In the New Testament, he knows the hairs on our head. He cares about us. And so I started to think about that. He is a personal God. He, he's not somewhere just going, well, there's, there's so many of these folks, and, and most of them are all crazy anyway, and they're doing weird stuff. I'm just going to step back. He, he is a personal God, and he sees, and he knows, and he cares. So I started thinking about that for a second, and this is kind of weird. So does he care what you had for lunch? 
Does he care what you did last night? Does he care if you're upset about something? Well, I want you to think about this. We're flawed. We're people. And we do not, we're not infinite in love as he is. But don't you care what your loved one ate for lunch? Don't you sometimes go, what'd you eat for lunch? Carrie came home, I don't know. What'd you eat for lunch? Well, I went by and got a chili dog. What'd you do last night? You ever have someone you love and you say, hey, what'd you do last night? We went here, we went there, we did these things. And so I go, yes, he is, a, he is a personal God. And so, yes, he cares, and yes, he knows, and he is involved in our lives. God is going to deliver them. Let me, let me read Exodus chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. The Lord said, is verse 7, I'm going to go ahead and back up. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. Verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cries of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression which with the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 8 says, I, God says, he is going to deliver them. He is going to save them. And so he hears their cries, he sees, he cares, he is involved in the lives of people, and so he is going to rescue them. He's going to deliver them. On our sheet, it says now a rescue mission. Here's an interesting thing. God's going to save them. God's going to deliver them, but he's going to use a person. So here we have Moses. Uh, he is now 40 when he ran, for, worked 40 years. He's 80 years old. God calls Moses, the burning bush account. There's a bush that's burning, it's not consumed. Uh, he hears the voice of God, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. He is confronted, he hears, he is called. God is gonna send and use Moses and through Moses, he's going to save the Israelites, the sons of Israel. He's gonna save his people and he's gonna keep his promise through Moses. Exodus chapter three, verse 10. Therefore, come now, and I will send you. God said he's going to do it, but he's talking to Moses. I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And so he's going to be a tool in God's hand. God is going to use him to deliver his people. God is the one that saves. He's going to use Moses. Here's, here's a weird thing that I don't know. My, my logical thought process uh, doesn't see how this is smart. God uses people. God uses people. Here's what I think about that. I think that's weird. I think that's inefficient. And the, the reason is people come with problems. When you deal with people, you're going to get the problems of people. Why doesn't God just say, Pharaoh's dead, the wagons are loaded, and they're delivered? Why doesn't he turn them upside down, stick them in the sea? Skip Moses, deliver them himself. They'd have been more impressed. Everybody would have been more impressed had it been like that. But instead, it seems very weird that you go out in the middle of nowhere, find a guy that's been on the run, and you say, I'm going to use you. That seems like an inefficient plan. Think about today. The good news of the gospel. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. People are saved when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know how the gospel is spread? People. Guess what that is? Same weird plan. Do you know there's a million better ways than to use people? I thought about this this afternoon. What if God said, I want you to hear the gospel, and so I stand in your bedroom and tell it to you myself. I make a movie run on your mirror when you take a shower, and you see, you hear the gospel there. You go outside, and a tree falls in front of your car. It picks up floats. A lightning bolt shoots through this, and then in the window on the radio is the gospel. There's a lot of, of, of seemingly more efficient ways to tell people the gospel. Guess what he does? He uses people. Go ye therefore. He's going to use people. It seems like a weird plan. God uses people. So he's going to use Moses to deliver his people. However, Moses is a reluctant rescuer. From the start, Moses is amazed by God. And and you see that. He's amazed by God. He hears God but he is reluctant to be used. Now, we're going to talk about that for just a second. Chapter 3, verse 11. Verse 10, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He says this. He starts to really come up with just one excuse after another. Who am I? Who am I? There's got to be somebody better. Who am I? That's his first thing. Then he comes up a little bit later and he says, what if they don't listen? What if I go there and they don't listen? They're not going to listen to me. Who am I? God says, I'll give you a sign. Here's your staff. Your staff will turn into a snake. Here's your staff. It's now a snake. It'll turn back into a, to a, to a staff. I thought about that as I read that. Do you know who the first person to see the sign was? He was. It does it right there. He sees the sign. The staff turns into a snake, turns back into a staff. What if they don't listen? Well, show them this sign. They'll listen then. I can't speak. I hear that one all the time. I can't speak. I'm just not a good speaker. That's not my thing. I can't speak. Well, Moses says, what if they don't listen? Well, your staff will turn into a snake. He actually comes back with, well, I can't speak. So God appoints his brother, Aaron. Aaron will go with you. He'll meet you along the way. He'll go with you, and he will be um, your spokesman. And when, when you speak to him and then he speaks, it'll be as if God himself is speaking. I'll use your brother. God is gracious. God is patient. And God removes all the barriers, all of the obstacles. Moses says, well, who am I? Well, I, I can't What if they don't believe me? Well, I can't speak. God removes all of the barriers. Here's a question, and I don't don't know if, if we can arrive at a solid answer. I think I have my answer, but here's the question. Why do you think Moses would stall? Why do you think Moses would say, I don't want to do that? I always think this. If God would show me a clear sign, I would do it. Don't you ever say that? If I woke up and there's a burning bush in my yard, you better watch out what I would do. If God would just make it plain, I would do it. I'd be obedient. He sees the burning bush. He hears the voice of God. He sees the sign. And he still says, I don't want to do it. What in the world? Why does he try to get out of it? And so I just make a list. 
I don't know why. Maybe it's self-doubt. Maybe he just goes, I'm no good, and I'm no good, and I'm no good, and I'm just no good. Maybe it's self-doubt. Maybe it's doubt in the plan. And so he goes, now, you know they want to kill me there. That's a bad plan. And you know when I go there, they're probably just going to kill me. That's a bad plan. I'm going to end up dead. And you know they're not going to listen anyway. I don't have an army. That's a bad plan. So maybe he doesn't trust the plan. But maybe it all goes back to this. And here's where I come to my answer. All of those are versions of trust issues with God. Notice that in chapter 2, God says, and you will go, and you will lead, and you will come back, and you'll go by this mountain, and you'll worship here. God's already got it settled. All of those issues are, maybe God's crazy. Maybe I can't trust God. Maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. And all of those things are forms of trust issues with God. Most of the time, our issues, we may make all these other things, but we're not trusting God as who he says he is. And our trust issues, our problems are our trust issues with God. All right, we're going to stop right there in our movement. We're going to pick up next week, and there's a deep thing that's going to hit next week, and you'll want to be here and see that. But I want to stop right there and go back and pick out one piece of what we've covered tonight that we could honestly spend six months on. One little piece that's huge, and that is God's memorial name. Uh, It is a huge thing. It's a profound thing. Let me explain it to you. When asked by Moses for his name, Moses says, who should I tell him has sent me? God says, tell him I am who I am. That's his answer. And so that's a, that's a huge thing. Moses says, well, who am I going to tell him has sent me? And he says, I am who I am. Tell him that's who sent you. Now, I want you to think about that. And it's, it's about to be pretty huge from here the rest of the lesson. First off, that's not a name given by man to God. Sometimes we name people, name things. We see a mountain and it looks like this. We'll name it such and such mountain. We see a person and they only have a left arm and so we call them lefty. We see something, we give them a name. This isn't how that works. It's not man giving God a name. This is God actually saying, this is my name. This is God telling us, this is my name. He says, according to himself, this is my name. Then he says this, this is how you are to remember me. This name is how you're to think and to remember me. Genesis chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name. This is how I'm to be remembered to all generations. I'd like to preach a sermon on verse 15, but we're just going to go quickly through this. This is my name, my memorial name to all generations. Did you know when it says to all generations, 
that's talking to us sitting in this room right now. You know what we are? We're a generation. And his name, his name that he's to be remembered by, his memorial name to our generation is this name. Think about that. Going back to the start, God who wants to be known is telling us about himself in this name. This name, just this name, I, well, what the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, just this name is a wild, deep, heavy, profound, unimaginable revelation of God. Just this name is a, is a crazy revelation of God. Now, here's what I want to do. We're going we're to go, and we're going to go through a couple pages of notes. We're going to talk about some things about this name. But I want you just to think tonight. And I want you to think about what I'm saying. I want you to think about these words. I want you to think about their meaning. And I, I, it's crazy. I've done this lesson. I was sitting there this afternoon maybe 20 times. And every time I do it, I go, that's crazy. That's crazy. These things are more interrelated than I thought. They're bigger than I thought. I finished today and I shut my notes and thought, that's bigger than I ever thought it was. And I, I think it's going to do it again. So I want you just to think about what God is saying. He said, this is for our generation. Think about what God is saying about himself in this name. All right, the name is this, Yahweh. Original language, Hebrew language, I am who I am, Yahweh. That's the Hebrew, that's the version, Yahweh. It is a Hebrew verb that means to be being. Now, the first thing that stands out is his name is a verb. Who would, whose name is a verb? Running. <laughs> Mine's eating, whatever. Uh, whose name is a verb? His name is a verb. That's telling. To be, be. Now, here's a weird thing. In the original language, this verb, the way it's phrased, to be, being, includes all tenses of that verb at one time. All of the verb tenses of that verb at one time are in this one name. This is not correct grammar, but here's what it means. To be being, to is ising, and to was wasing. That's not, that doesn't make any sense. That's what it means. All of the verb tenses at one time. Now, from that, I want you to see what comes out of that. And just sit here and go, man, I, I, I can't imagine that. From just that, to be being, here's what comes out of it. The name is descriptive, which means it describes. And so this describes God. It is descriptive. However, at the same time, it is causative, which means this. Because it is the things that it describes, because it is those things, it is also the cause of other things. So because it is this thing, it's the cause of another thing. Now, that's going to start to make your brain hurt a little bit. It is descriptive and it's causative. Because it's this, it causes that. So it's both of those things at the same time. All right, let's start to look at it. To be being means this. First off, he is eternal. Because he is to be being, is, ising, and was, wasing, he is eternal. You know why? Because there's no start to that. There's no time to be being wasn't being. There's no time that is ising wasn't ising. It means there's no start to that. It also means there's no end to that. If he's to be being, he's not not being. And so he is no end. And so 
No star and no end. That's a description of eternal. Here's what the name says. God always was and he always will be. He is eternal. Now, what does that mean? So you're sitting there going, to be being, all the verb tenses at once, he is eternal. What does that mean, all right? Because he's that, he's also this. It means he is self-existent. It means his being comes from himself. His being comes from himself. No one or no thing is responsible for him being. There's not a creator that created him. There's not a thing that crashed into something that crashed into something that sparked and made him. No one, no thing is responsible for him being. He's not created. He's not assembled. He is self-existent. Now, what does that mean? If he is self-existent, it means he is the greatest. There's no one or no thing greater than him because he's self-existent. I think about that. There's nothing we can't name that you can't back up three steps and end at God. Well, here's a person. Well, the person became because of this element and this element and this element. Well, where did that come from? Well, it came from this and this. And eventually, you're going to get back to the thing that started all. That's the greatest thing. Well, guess what? God is existent in himself. He is the greatest thing. There's no one, no thing greater than God just because of his name. What does that mean? If he's self-existent, it also means he is self-reliant. Now think about that. He depends on no one. He depends, he's self-existent, so he depends on no one. He depends on no thing for his existence. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything from the world. He doesn't need anything from the people on the world. Nothing can be added to him. He is totally independent and totally self-dependent. That's all from one name. He's eternal, self-reliant. Now he's self-dependent, self-reliant. Because of that, we start to see the causative parts of his name. Because he is the one that is being being, he is the creator of all things. Nothing exists, but he exists. He is the creator. Since he is the greatest, he is the source of all things. If you back up all things, you'll eventually arrive at God, however many steps you want to take. All things come from him. All things come out of him. Now, I want you to think about that. We, we might be so confused when we're in here that you just have to go outside and choke outside or something. No other account of origins or beginnings, evolution, Big Bang, whatever you want to do, pick your thing, no other account of origins or, or of beginnings has a decisive answer for the beginning. And so the Big Bang will say this and this. And you say, well, where'd that come from? Well, there was a thing and it was imploding on itself and then it imploded and when it did, it exploded. Where did that come from? They eventually have to get to say, I don't know. Well, evolution, there was a primordial sea of elements and there, where did they come from? Well, before that, there was a one of these and that. Where did that come from? And they eventually have to say, I don't know. Because this is the truth, and it is the truth, it's the only account that says, in the beginning, starts with God. Everything comes from him. He is the creator. All right, so coming out of that, he is the creator. We're going to go a little longer. He is the sustainer. Now, now go with me, follow this. Because he creates all things, all things that still are, all things that are, 
are sustained by him, in him. Now, he's the creator of all things, but if that thing he created is still existing, it's because he has sustained that thing. If something is, it's not only because he created it, it's also because he kept it. He sustained it. He's the sustainer of all things. Going on. From that name, we can see he is unchanging. He is unchanging. To be being Yahweh. He is unchanging. Let me explain this. He always has been, and he always will be. Now, because because of who he is, and we're going to see that he's infinitely those things, God is not learning. Did you know the longer you live, you figure things out, and you learn things? Put your hand on a hot stove. Guess what next week? You might not do that. Drive 80 and crash into a pole. Guess what next month? You might not do that. Guess what he's not doing? He's not learning He's not growing. He's not evolving. He's not getting better, smarter, stronger, or larger with time. He has always been, and so he's not not getting better, smarter, stronger, larger. He's not learning with time. He is unchanging. Now, Now, start to watch how they start to overlap. All of them do. He's also infinite. Infinite means has no limit. And so an infinite supply of something means it doesn't slow down, doesn't taper off. He, because he is to be being, and all the verb tenses of that, he is infinite. He has no limit. So here's one, one thing. He's not getting better with time. Guess what he's also not doing? He's not getting worse with time either. He's not running down. He's not running out. He's not depleting. He's not getting any better. He's unchanging. He's not getting any worse. He is infinite. All the things we know taper off, run down, wear out. Buy a new car, you love it, pay a lot of money for it, excited about it, come back in 10 years, it's wearing out. Go down the list. Build a new house, love it, come back in 20 years, closets are all full and there's holes in the sheetrock, it's wearing out. All things wear down, run out, taper off. God is infinite. He doesn't run out. Now here's a big thing. I guess all of these are going to end up being big things. If he is infinite, then he is infinite in all of his attributes. And so when you start looking at the individual attributes of God, because he is infinite, he is infinite in each of those. He is infinite in all of his attributes, which means this. He is limitless in love. Does he run out of love? Does he taper off in love? Does he get to a point he does not love? He is infinite in love. He is infinite in grace. The Bible says mercies are new every morning. You know why? He's infinite in grace. Can you out him? Can you have sin bigger than his grace? He is infinite in grace, infinite in kindness, infinite in justice, perfect justice, infinite in power. He's not getting tired, infinite in power, infinite in might. The same creation power, he still has that much power. Here's one that's hard to understand. Infinite in wisdom. He knows all things. He knows when it ought to happen, why it ought to happen, the best thing to happen. Perfect in wisdom. There's not a thing that's outside of his infinite wisdom. He's not going to be surprised. He's not going to say, oh, I knew all of that, but I didn't know this. He's infinite in wisdom. Limitless, infinite in all of his character. All from that name. All powerful. No limit to his power. 
He can do all things. Why? Because there's no limit to his power. We eventually run into a power limitation. We eventually run into something we're not big enough, strong enough. We're not able to motivate over that thing. He has no limit in power. Now, see how all of that starts to tie together. See how all of that starts to feed the other. He doesn't have an end. He doesn't have a start. He's infinite in all things. He doesn't change. He doesn't run down. He's perfect, infinite in all of his traits. And one of those things pushes the other. Another one builds on the other. And all of that is from out in the middle of a desert. Moses says, well, who am I going to tell him to sit me? And he says, tell him I am. And I, I, I remember going, what a weird answer. What a weird name. God reveals, and that's just a speck of what he reveals, but he reveals that just in his name. Here's what I want to tell you. Two things are about to be done. Sometimes we would do well just to stop and think about God. Don't get mad. Don't get this. Don't get that. We would do well sometimes to think about God. Think about this name. Here's, here's what you ought to do. Sometimes you ought to sit down and go, is he really those things? And then I'm going to say even be more specific. Pick one of them. Is he really that thing? Is he really infinite in grace? Is he really infinite in power? Is he really infinite in wisdom? Pick one thing. And then if he is really that thing, what does that mean to you? And so you go, my God is infinite in power. Why am I worried? My God's infinite in love. Why am I worried? My God's infinite in wisdom, not going to ever do the wrong thing, perfect in righteousness, never going to do the right thing, wrong thing. Why am I worried? We do well to stop and say, who is God? And is he really that thing? And if he is that thing, what does that mean to me? And I tell you what, it would change how we think, how we see, how we walk in obedience. You know what? God is with me. Who can be against me? He actually is all of these things infinitely so. Huge lesson, huge understanding. One name. God says, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. You'll never figure it out. Eternity, you'll enter into it, and then you'll, you'll, you'll go, man, I didn't even understand a part of it. One last thing. All of that, and I don't, I don't know if you're as, crazy, as astounded as I am. I, I sit there and go, that's astounding. That's astonishing. That's awesome. And if you're sitting there going, all of that, all of that, how crazy that one day there is a man and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus said that. And we hear that and we think that's a nice little verse, isn't it? He stood on that day and said, before Abraham was born, I am infinite, I am God, I don't have a start, I don't have an end, I'm limitless in power. Before Abraham was born, I am. The Jews knew what he was saying. They knew he was saying, I'm God. And they pick up, you know, we got to kill him. We, get, we can't let him say he's God. How awesome is that? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That is our Savior. That is our Lord Jesus. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
during Father, we come tonight, and I pray as we've, if we, as we've thought about you, I pray that tonight we've been encouraged. I pray tonight that we've been strengthened. I pray that tonight we've been prepared. And I pray as we go into a world that needs the good news of Christ, that we wouldn't fear, that we wouldn't be timid, we wouldn't be scared, that we wouldn't start offering excuses, but we would understand that, that Jesus empowers, enables, equips, stands beside, and, and, and we have nothing to fear. And so I, I pray, Lord, that we would be emboldened. I pray that we would walk in obedience in our personal lives, in our homes, in our relationships. I pray, Lord, that we would have a renewed worship, uh, understanding of you as we just pass through this. I pray for our homes tonight. Bless them. Pray for some here with kids tonight. Bless them through what we learned tonight. Some with grandkids tonight. Bless them. Uh, I pray for us as we go back and finish up a work week, as we go back to the world, uh, help us be ambassadors of the good news of a risen Savior. And the Lord, we just come tonight, I'm thankful for what we were able to see in you and through you. And I pray all this in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here. You're dismissed.